This is a Radio.com original. When I'd get on the radio and do a review, I, I'd always think, I'll, I'll notate things I don't like and things I think they could do better, but I'm not going to shame that car because mm-hmm. there's somebody out there that in the goodness of their heart thought they were buying a good car. The only car I ever found that you could insult and not, uh, and not uh, hurt anybody's feeling was the Yugo. Yeah, and, and, <laughs> that's what I was but thinking. Then, but then, <laughs> Welcome back to another exciting edition of the Talking About Cars podcast, where it's all about everybody has a car story. We have a man with us who has a lot of car stories. We're going to talk about that. First off, let's uh, introduce everybody on the screen first. There he is. You know him. You love him. The guy from Great American Auto Scene, my co-host, Hot Rod Bob Beck. Hello. Hello, Bob. Hello there, everybody. And then, of course, our guest for the day joining us on the show. You know his name. Uh, And of course, this book, you know, I got to tell you, Ed, I have been, it's a legacy of justice. I always think like I'm talking uh, about a superhero thing. Uh, No, faster than the speed of sound. And the legacy of justice himself, Ed Justice Jr. joining us. Uh, Ed, thanks for being on the show. Well, thank you for having me. You know, that book People go, hey, that's a coffee table book. I said, no, it's actually a coffee table. <laughs> we don't include the legs. <laughs> so, <laughs> six, whoops, six pounds right here as I hit it into the stand here. Six, yeah, you know. Yeah, hey, six you pounds. Know. Yeah. 50, 50 bucks to send it to Australia. Yes, Ooh. exactly. And it's a cool book, and we're going to look at some of the pictures in it because, frankly, what's a book without pictures? Of course, last time we had uh, Kelly Earnhardt Miller on the show talking about her book, and she had no pictures. And I went, how could you do a book without pictures? Come on. And Ed, the pictures in your book are just awesome. How does your family take so many pictures? Well, uh, yeah, that's a really good question. You know, uh, you know by seeing the book that I am a photographer. I've, I've shot motorsports uh, for 50 years plus. And uh, my dad was actually a very serious photo hobbyist. And that's sort of where I got the bug from. Uh, he, I have albums of World War II pictures that he shot that are amazing. I mean, and my... It started back, and it, and it, it, we go back in the book, it's 100 years of history to today. And we go back to my grandfather, who was an auctioneer, and he owned a camera. And he was also the showbiz side, the salesman. And so in order to tell the story of my dad and my uncles and then bring it on up to present day with myself and the family, we had to go back to really the, the spark that I could see that was it. And Tom Madigan, who wrote the book, uh, you know, I was w- co-writer with him. Uh, he saw that. And my grandfather, being an auctioneer, was one of the few people in society at that time that had a reason to own a camera. And because he needed to shoot pictures of livestock and oh, yeah. farms and all that. So he actually owned a camera. And, you know, I, I have to explain this to people under a certain age that there was a point in time when a camera was a real luxury item and it was a very rare thing. And even when I got married some almost uh, 40 plus years ago, we had one friend who owned a video camera and we asked him to the 
to please bring your video camera to the wedding. And so now everybody today with a phone has got a camera. And there's six billion of these things in the, in the world. So everybody's got a camera. But my, my grandfather had a camera, and he would let my dad and my uncles use the camera if they bought the film and if they developed it. And so that's how that started. So, uh, you know, it's amazing the pictures that I was able to draw from. But I also have to say, as I, as I went through life, and I'd run across this stuff, I was sort of like a, a squirrel preparing for winter. I'd, hey, and I'd squirrel it away somewhere, you know what I mean? And, and a lot of, and really, frankly, nobody else really cared. Uh, and that's how I ended up with all this stuff. Here, let and me see a, if I could show some of these pictures here. Yeah, that's, that's a 1934 amazing. Chevy. Uh, that was my grandmother's car. Uh, and, uh, that's my dad standing next to it. And that car, you, you can see it's got all the accessories, the eyelids on the headlights and the fog lamps. And it's got, I think it's got an Appleton spot on it, you know, oh, which yeah. is one of the cool customizer things. That car also is very significant because that was the car that my one uncle got paralyzed in. I oh. uh, got in a wreck and got thrown out of that car about 150 feet and lit on the pavement. And of course, everybody says, hey, get up. And, and that was the worst thing to do. But mm. he was 21 at the time. That's my, dad's, that's my dad's 36 Ford sedan convertible. We own one similar to that today. That's the car that actually he drove from Kansas to California out Route 66. And he's parked next to my Uncle Gus's cafe that he bought with money that was given to him uh, after his paralysis accident. And that's how he made a living. And my dad and my uncle worked there as short order cooks and, and bussing tables and, and all that. Hmm. So, yeah, no, the photos are amazing. And, 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 and trust me, I used a fraction of the photographs that we have. I mean, the archive we have is just off, off the charts. It's amazing. Wow. Well, I can imagine. You started going to tracks uh, as a photographer when you were just not even a teen yet. That's right. I, I got my I got my first camera was a very very cheap model Polaroid, and uh, and I I was telling some guys yesterday I was shooting fake UFO pictures with it, as good as good as any of the other fake UFO pictures that you saw at the time. You know I was taking the, the string and and the, you know the great thing about that that Polaroid it was just bad enough image quality that it wouldn't show the string and you know and all that so so you want. You know, a good UFO picture can't be really clear. You know, it's, hey, I caught it, you know. So anyway, uh, and then I got my first actual camera was a Konica Auto S2, and I got that when I was about 12. And uh, there's actually pictures from that camera uh, that are in the book, uh, The Snake versus Mongoose. And uh, they're, they're really great shots of Tom McEwen. I shot out to Winter Nationals uh, about 1969 or something like that. Mm -hmm. But when I really got rolling was when I was 14. And by 14, I was actually selling pictures to the magazines as a freelancer. And as I explained to people, it was a completely different time. I know you, if you try to get a 14-year-old out on the track shooting pictures today, you might have an issue. Uh, there's a lot more attorneys today. There's a lot more releases you've got to sign. There's a lot more fear about lawsuits. Uh, none of that I had to deal with. And I was going to the races, Bob, as you say, uh, ever since I was able to walk with my dad and my uncles. And 
when I got involved in the photography, I, I just was very passionate about trying to emulate those guys that I looked at in car and driver, hot rod, road and track, guys that became my good friends and who I ended up shooting next to for many years. Well, was that a possibility of your career? Is that really what you thought about doing? Or were you always, did you always know in the back of your mind, eventually you're going to join the family business? Well, that's, yeah, I'll make this question, uh, the answer as short as possible. I, I met a guy, a young guy when I was, I mean, I met a guy when I was young called John Goddard, and he had this incredible list of things that he wanted to accomplish from climbing Kilimanjaro to swimming in the Zambezi to God knows what. And he would come out to schools and talk about it. Between that and my dad instilling in me that, Ed, just go for it. Don't, just try to do everything. I, I uh, you know, I'm a, I, I used to be a professional magician. I've been a member of the Magic Castle over 50 years. I'm a close-up magician. I was offered a job to work in, in Vegas doing that. Uh, and, but I always came back to Justice Brothers, uh, and, and Justice Brothers running the company has kept me in the arena that I love, and it has allowed me to continue my motorsports photography uh, career. Uh, I transitioned from a pro to part-time pro to, uh, you know, now back, I'm back shooting uh, very heavily again. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I... I really love uh, what I've done for my life, and that is, you know, running Justice Brothers. But, but I I can't kill the passion for photography, and and I now I'm I'm the owner of several major archives of fellow photographers of mine that have passed away. I mean, I'm talking several million images from the early '50s to present day. And you've been posting a lot of that on Facebook, which is, yeah. is great. All of a sudden, now I'm seeing the history and the things that you have done. And not only do you shoot the photos, but you knew the people that were in the photos. Yeah, I, you know what? I, I was blessed. I mean, look, at you do not pick the family you're born into. Okay. I mean, you have no control over that. And I was blessed. And uh, But then again, uh, ha having lived long enough in life now, I realized that I was smart enough to seize the opportunity and, and, uh, and do it in the right way and not just ride the wave, uh, you know, become part of the wave, I guess. And yeah, I, I enjoy it. You know, I got, I got induced into doing Instagram by a, a fellow videographer. Uh, he used to be the, uh, producer of Jay Leno's Garage when it started online, and he won an Emmy. Robert Angelo's his name, and uh, he does a lot of great work today, and he told me, he said, why aren't you on Instagram? I mean, God, you being the photographer, that's just a perfect venue for you, so I started the account, and uh, you know, Instagram originally started as a place where you're, you're only supposed to post pictures that you took, well, you know, it's not that anymore. People are borrowing pictures from everywhere. And, uh, and uh, while I don't have a problem with that, sometimes it's flat out just theft. You know, mm -hmm. it's like you can't, I can't use a Beatles song on my YouTube video for obvious reasons. You know what I mean? So anyway, I, I've transitioned. I started, Bob, quite a while ago doing what I call long form posting. And that is, I, I literally bang the limit of what you can write on Instagram, which is way more than 140 characters on Twitter. And it's everything you're not supposed to do. 
And, but I found that there's a certain audience for that. And look, there's no money in this for me. And it's, a, it's quite a commitment. But having done radio in a two-hour show for 20 years, I was used to a commitment. And because as you know, you know, it's like this right now. You just don't turn the mic on and do it. There's a certain amount of prep work, research, et cetera, if you're a pro, that you have to do. And, and a lot of people, they start blog sites. And you go on, and you look at a lot of these blog sites, and the last time they posted was 2016, 2014. Mm-hmm. It wears most people out because yeah. they don't have the discipline. And so, yeah, I, I enjoy it. And I, you know what? I, I try to contribute to the positive side of the Internet. Uh, I don't want to be part of, of the negative part of the Internet. I have no desire to be there. Uh, you know, I've, I've really not experienced that. If I have somebody that tries to be smart with me, uh, I just, I'm not going to deal with it. I just don't want that. I mean, I, I'm all about educating and entertaining people about racing history because it's something that's been very, very good to us. And I, I feel it's partially giving back. I hear a lot about radio, too. You had talked about radio. How did you kind of get that part into your career as well? Well, you know, uh, Randy, you know, I have, a, I have a certain voice, as you know. And, and so, yeah, deep, you know, <laughs> deep and all that. And again, you know, Randy, look, at you, you can do things to develop your voice, but basically you're sort of born with your voice. You know what I mean? I always and, said it was smoking and alcohol, but yeah. they know I don't drink or smoke. So yeah, I don't yeah exactly. <laughs> if only, if, if only it were that easy. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But, but, but anyway, I, I had done uh, some radio and people had asked me to do radio because it's like a photographer. I mean, you, you do need access. Mm-hmm. So access is part of that. Okay. And then you need knowledge unless you're just going to be a reader. Okay. And we know what a reader is. I mean, you know, you're just reading, you're reading the script or you're reading the, the teleprompter or whatever. And, and, uh, and so that's how I first got into it. And then I, I connected and I started doing the motorsports report on car and drivers radio show. And then I co-hosted on car and driver and then road and track wanted to do a radio show. So I was picked to be the host of road and tracks radio show. And, and then I ended up doing Motor Trend also, uh, did, you know, the top three automotive magazines and interviewed every single uh, top executive, you know, test drove a, plenty of cars, uh, you know, did racing reports. Uh, and I'd have access to the drivers because they're my friends. And, and I never, ever breached their trust. Uh, you know, and I could get through to people when other people couldn't because I wasn't going to do that gotcha interview. And you know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about. I wasn't going to lay them in and then, you know, put them in a, in a uncomfortable, unreasonable position. I'd ask them honest questions and, and give them a fair shot to explain themselves. And, you know, Howard Bragman, a PR guy, uh, Bragman, uh, Nyman, and Caffarelli. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael Nyman, who was a partner of his, is a very good friend of mine. And when the Tiger Woods thing happened uh, with, with his wife and that whole blow up, uh, I reached out to my friend Michael Nyman. I said, hey, I'd, like, I'd love to have Howard on the show to talk about damage control. Not that I was doing golf, but, you know, there have been drivers that have needed this help. Uh, like when A.J. Foyt punched Ari Leyendijk in victory lane at Texas. You know, I mean, 
what took him off the front page was Evander Holifield biting uh, the other boxer's ear. You know what I mean? And so, yeah. I mean, or, or Holifield's ear got bitten by Mike Tyson. Right, right. That's right. So anyway, I got to get that right. My boxing stuff here. So, so, so anyway, uh, you know, if I like, okay, let's take it uh, uh, another example. The Mickey Thompson trial. Mickey was a very good friend of ours. He wanted to rent space over on the other side of the building from where I am now. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he, his, where he was murdered is just right up the street from where I'm sitting. Uh, we, we knew Mickey all our life. Okay. His sister, Colleen Campbell, very good friend. His son, Danny, uh, Colleen's husband, uh, was a good friend. Uh, so when they did that trial, I went to a few days of the trial, I'd stop in and, and I happened to be very lucky and stop in on some critical testimony that was rather amazing. And it happened in Pasadena. Well, when the verdict came down, it was on a Thursday and I tried to get in touch with Colleen via her cell phone, via email, no calling her home, voice answering machines, full, can't get through. Finally, I thought, okay, she has a fax machine. I'm going to send a fax. I'm going to take the old school way that generally is not cluttered like email and all the rest. And I sent her a fax and I wrote it out in handwriting. And I said, Colleen, I'd love to interview you on Road and Track Radio about the trial. And she called me on Friday. My show was on Saturday. She called me on Friday and said, Ed, I've spent 40 some years in the court system because prior to Mickey, it was the trial for her son who had been murdered by two guys and dropped out of an airplane between here and Catalina, which oh, they wow. solved. Okay. And she, she became a vi- very big victim's right advocate. So anyway, she said, I really don't want to talk about it, but if you think the racing crowd would be interested, I'll come on your show. And I said, I know they would. I said, I know they would love to hear. And so she, I did the first interview of her after the uh, deal. And so it gave me, it gave me access and, but I never abused that. I always, I always treated everybody with respect, uh, you know, and, and I also found out Randy, and I think you guys will appreciate this when it comes to car reviews, I found out that a lot of people that buy what some people in the media consider to be a piece of junk car People don't go in and buy that car and say to the salesman, sell me the biggest piece of junk you've got. <laughs> okay. I mean, really, you got to think um, about this. People work oh, hard. Right. For the, they work right. hard for their money. Okay. Huh. And they don't take you trade in order to get money. You trade part of your life. That's the most precious thing we all have is time. So you give time for money and then you go buy what you think is good value. Mm-hmm. You don't go there and say, hey, buy, sell me this piece, okay? Yeah. So when you get on the radio, when I get on the radio and do a review, I, I'd always think, I'll, I'll notate things I don't like and things I think they could do better, but I'm not going to shame that car because mm-hmm. there's somebody out there that in the goodness of their heart thought they were buying a good car, and who am I to insult them for their purchase? And, uh, you know, I, I'd always say, hey, they could have done this better or whatever. I'd be truthful. I mean, I, I never gave anybody a free shake and, and pushed junk. But then again, there's a point to where you just got to be realistic about this. You know what I mean? So anyway, the only car I ever found that you could insult and not, uh, and not uh, hurt anybody's feeling was the Yugo. Yeah, and, and, <laughs> that's what I was but thinking. Then, but then, then I'm emceeing yeah. an event up at Carmel. <laughs> 
and I'm and I'm doing a whole slew of Yugo jokes. Like you know, guy goes into an auto parts store, and he says to the guy behind the counter, "Do you have a radiator cap for a Yugo?" And the guy behind the counter says, "No, but it sounds like a fair trade." But anyway, <laughs> so I, I'm doing all this stuff, and I go on great, and a guy comes up to me and he goes, "Hey, I want to talk to you about all these Yugo jokes." And I go, "Well, which one did you like best?" And he goes, "I didn't like any of them." He said, I own a three Yugos. And I go, buddy, I don't know what to say. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> so I found, I found that one guy, okay? Yeah. Well, that's a pardonable offense, though. And what have we learned, by the way, listeners? We have learned, we have learned that, of course, a fax machine in the journalism sense is always usable for a good reason. See? Yeah. It's, it's that kind of out-of-the-box thinking that will get you the story versus not getting you the story and going, gosh, he hasn't sent me an email back. He hasn't sent me a text back. You got to start thinking outside the box. Kiss, keep it simple. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, I really wanted to interview her. I mean, I really wanted to do that. And I, I really, uh, I mean, yeah, it's a scoop and all, but uh, because of our friendship, you know, I was a pallbearer for a guy by the name of Ernie Alvarado. He owned a camera store in Glendale called Ernie's Camera. It was an iconic camera store in, yep. in Glendale. He was Mickey Thompson's best friend. Uh, I, I mean, there, there was, I was connected to Mickey in so many different ways. And Ernie was the other guy, if you go back in the old press photos, you see Colleen on the scene. Ernie's the other person on the scene. He was there right after Colleen. Mm. And he was never the same, really, to be quite honest, after Mickey was uh, murdered. So, but anyway, so I, I wanted, I really wanted to do that interview for a lot of reasons. Well, who are the other people that you've interviewed that you really wanted to get into with them uh, about whatever the motorsports issue was at the time? Okay. Well, I'll tell you an interesting one. It's no, it should be no surprise that Paul Tracy is pretty much an unvarnished person. What you see is what you get. Uh, he, you, that's sort of what, plays very well on the IndyCar broadcast. Uh, he's just sort of tells it the way it is. I had Paul on an interview and I thought, well, I'm going to ask him, did you guys, and this is when he was driving for Roger Penske and IndyCar. And uh, I said, did you guys have traction control? Now understanding traction control was illegal. And uh, he said, yeah, we did. And I, I, you know, it was a phone uh, interview taped for air, uh, pre-recorded. And on the other end, I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm really amazed the guy just came right out and just was dead honest. Yeah, we did. And I said, you did. So how did you justify that? And he said, well, we knew other people had it. So we knew if we didn't have it, we couldn't compete. So yeah, we had traction control. And uh, it's moments like that that you go, is the recorder on? <laughs> Let's make sure the recorder's on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, you know, because it just be your luck, you go, Oh, darn, I forgot to hit the darn record button on the record. Was there a split second, though, when you started thinking, gee, should I use that or not? Oh, I think that's fair game. Uh, I, I think that's fair game because if, if Roger were to have a problem with that, that's an issue between he and Paul. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, mean, I think that's where uh, I, I asked him a question and he delivered the answer he wanted. Uh, that's not, I, didn't, I didn't ask the question as a gotcha question. You know what I mean? You, any of us who have done enough interviews, you can spot it a mile away, some of these questions, the way they ask certain people. 
And then there's the people that ask questions that basically give the answer when they're an asking the question. And so the person on the other end asking the, answering the question goes, yeah, because you asked it and you answered it and you're right. You know, so, yeah, so. it kind of wrecks a soundbite when you go and ask a big question and they go, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, you, know, we, it, the, you know, that boy, I mean, the, 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 the uh, nightmares of some interviews. I, you know, I had one driver. I'm not going to name him. I've named him before. I'm going to give him a break. Uh, but uh, the, he was delivered to me by a sponsor. And which is the way it generally works, you know. And uh, and so he comes on. He drove for NASCAR, still driving, as a matter of fact. Amazingly enough, uh, but anyway. Uh, and so I asked him about a big wreck. I said, you know, what what did your dad think about this big wreck? And he goes, well, you know, you probably should ask my dad that question. And I go, <laughs> I'm thinking to myself. Well, your dad's not on the phone right now. I'm asking you that question. What did your dad think? And, and his attitude was beyond bad. Mm -hmm. And he, so then they told me I had five minutes. Okay. They said, you got five minutes with him. So I'm watching the clock. And at about three and a half minutes, he goes, okay, I think we pretty much covered everything. Uh, I need to go now. So the, the rep called from the, the oil company massive oil company. And uh, he said, so Ed, how did the interview go? I said, why do you guys sponsor this guy? I said, why do you sponsor him? I said, he's the worst. I said, you know what? I'll tell you what, I want you to start a list of people who do not want to ever interview this guy again, and put me at the top of the list. And you know what the guy said? Ed, I'm afraid you're going to be at the bottom of that list. <laughs> I said, then I'll ask you again, well, why do you sponsor this guy? And he goes, it's a good question. And I think we're going to take care. And you know what? They quit sponsoring him. Wow. And uh, yeah, I mean, ah, boy. My, you know, my dad told me, Ed, it doesn't cost anything to be nice. Mm -hmm. It's free. And my dad also told me, and I think th these are both in the book. There's a number of things that my dad drilled into my head as I was growing up. Another thing he told me was he said, Ed, you can always tell a big man by how he treats a little man. And you know what? That's so true. Mm -hmm. A person who has power and position, when they abuse that power and position with somebody that's in a weaker position and has less power, that's the real sign of a jerk. I mean, you know, when somebody just abuses their position and, and it's so true and, you know, you see that and then you see other people and I, and I'm like, I guy asked me this morning, how many people have you met that are bad? And I said, you know what? I've met clearly more good people in my life. I really have. I've met a lot of great people, uh, you know, that are just such natural people. And, and Bob on those posts, I always pointed out like Richard Petty, the most recent post, Richard is a, what you see, what you get guy. Richard's always been gracious. He's always been very congenial. Richard's just a great guy. And Richard Petty's the king. I mean, he holds all the records. He'll always be at the top of the pyramid for me. And, and not, not, not to take away from other guys, but Dan Gurney, really, really great guy. Parnelli Jones, great guy. And you can also tell for these guys, they generally have great family life. And that's a generally a good sign. And so, 
you know, I mean, I, I, uh, the number of bad interviews I had, I can count on one hand, thankfully. And, and, you know, that's a good thing. You, uh, you know, so many people, and obviously some of it is through your family's inner workings with the automotive industry and racing and that kind of thing. But if you were going to offer networking advice to people, what, what would be a big networking tip that you would give people because to, to get those kind of contacts, to maintain those kind of contacts over your life? Well, you know, tr trust is everything and credibility is everything. And both of those things are not something that you get overnight, but they can be removed overnight. You know, my dad used to say one black spot erases a hundred white ones or a thousand white ones or whatever. And to me, when you gain somebody's trust and you gain somebody's confidence, you do everything in your power to never breach that. And, and I, you know, in, in the early part of my life, I was, uh, very lucky to be around a lot of really great people that uh, I observed how they lived and how they acted and it rubbed off on me. Jim Gilmore was a great guy, AJ Foyt's sponsor. He was a great letter writer and he would always send notes and, uh, and, and that I still have his letters. I've got in my office, I probably got 20 binders of letters, memorable letters from people that I've gotten over the years. And this is where I think the letter still has incredible power versus email uh, or a simple note card or whatever. Uh, and I tutor young drivers, if they really want to make an uh, impression, send a handwritten letter. So, so much more personal, so much shows uh, that you took the time versus just jotting something out on your phone and hitting send. Uh, I mean, you get a million of those a day and they mean nothing. It's just chatter anymore. And, and so I've always, and, and I've, I've always made it a point that if somebody says, Hey, do you know such and such? If I say I know them in my mind, I set this bar. That means that if they go to that person and they say, Hey, Ed justice said he knows you, they're not going to go, huh? Ed justice. Meaning they're going to go. Yeah, I know Ed. And I don't say I know somebody unless I know, because if they don't know me, then my credibility with that person, not the driver per se or the person, but the person who asked them, my credibility goes down. So, you know, your word is your bond is the old school way. And, you know, I, I do agree with contracts are only written to keep dishonest people honest. Honest people don't need contracts. They really don't. And we've become a very contract world uh, because people don't trust people because they've been stabbed in the back or whatever. And, you know, I tell young people, look, you find bad people, identify them quick and move on. Identify them quick and move on. Just don't deal with them. And uh, so I, gaining people's confidence, you know, trust, uh, their respect, you know, that, that's all something that you earn. It's just not, people just don't give you that. You know what I mean? You don't walk into a room and just because your name might be whoever, I mean, and if, and if, if you can, if you ever obtain the place where you can walk into a room and have respect, now you have to guard it even more because you know, the old saying, you don't want to meet your heroes because you might be let down, you know, and there's some truth to that. 
And so, you know, you want to live up to the expectations. And some people say, ah, oh, the heck with that. You know what? I want to live my life the way I want to. Well, okay, great. Well, you're going to deal with the ramifications of that too. You know, mm -hmm. nobody tells any of us how to live. It's a, it's a choice we make every morning when we get up. And, uh, you know, I just choose to, to do the things I do because I've seen it be successful for other people. Ed Justice Jr. will be joining us again next time in part two of our interview when we talk more about his book, A Family History and a Company History of the Justice Brothers called Legacy of Justice. Hey, don't forget, you can now watch some of our recent episodes on the Talking About Cars podcast on our new Two Tired Guys Productions YouTube channel. Whether you listen only on radio.com or knx1070.com or watch it on our Two Tired Guys YouTube channel, make sure you like us and subscribe. For Ed Justice, Hot Rod Bob Beck as well, I'm Randy Cardoon. We'll see you next time as we go Talking About Cars.